The most essential truth of the Christian faith is that the God of the entire universe has spoken to us in his word and in his son. Welcome to the Her God Speaks podcast, where we take that personally as we open our Bibles and dig deep into the life-giving, anxiety-crushing, identity-shaping truth of the scriptures. Whether you're busy washing dishes, working out, driving home from work, or carving out a rare moment to relax, I pray you'll find this podcast a source of refreshing, hope-filled Bible teaching that makes a difference in your life right now. Because wherever you are, whatever you're doing, however you're feeling, God's right there in the middle of it. So let's open our Bibles and find Him. Welcome to the Her God Speaks podcast. I am your host, April Swears, here with my friend, Brooke Angel, and we are excited to dive into another psalm with you today. If this is your first time with us, we're so glad you're here. Her God Speaks is a Bible study podcast that exists to help women hear, know, and glorify God through Christ-centered engagement with the Bible and theology. We're in the, I think, seventh week of our God in the Psalms series. And since every good Bible study starts with a little bit of conversation, that's how we like to start each episode. All right, Brooke, so it's summer, actually well into summer. I feel like the initial, yay, it's summer, is kind of wearing off. It is. It's wearing off. I know it's wearing off in my house. Yeah. Very much wearing off. So I want to chat a little bit about those summer bucket lists that people make and then post on social media, because if oh, you don't yeah. post a picture of it, did it's you really real. even make it? <laughs> <laughs> right. So I thought it would be fun to make a bucket list right here, right now, of things that reflect what real life people actually do in the summer. Like if bucket lists were honest. Oh, yeah. This will be good. Is our bucket list ever really honest? No, they they reflect our best intentions. Yes, high hopes for the summer. High hopes. These visions that you have <laughs> for you and your family. Yes. And, you know, I think there are some people are super good at, like. Oh, hearing, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. And they're the ones that, like, are on Instagram making me feel like yeah. a total loser. Absolutely. They don't mean to do that. It's not their fault. No. It's my problem. They just know how to have some fun. <laughs> they live out their actual bucket they, list. They live out their actual bucket yeah. list. Oh, what wonderful people they are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to start us off. All right. Okay. First thing on the list. If summer bucket lists were honest, we are going to watch several hours a day of screen time every single day. And on Saturday, you might get like double that. Endless amount of time. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Even for me and my toddler, like we have screen time for sure. Yeah. It's more like, you know, Netflix, not so much. Probably your kids are playing games yeah. on the iPad and whatnot. Yeah. But you know, screen time. Yeah. I hope your toddler's not playing Fortnite. She's yet. not, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Landon would love if she played Fortnite with him. But no, not yet. But she does love her some Netflix. Yeah. So, yep. yeah. No, I get it. I can make it. I try to make it to like one o'clock. Well, there's morning screen time, but I don't count that. <laughs> That's so I can meet with Jesus. <laughs> oh, okay. That, that it's, one it's is excused. That one's excused for sure. God knows. But like <laughs> afternoon screen time, I'm like, okay, then we'll do something productive until, oh, if I can hold out to one. And then it's like, 
And it's like all bets are off. Yeah. And unless it's, you know, we'll try to swim or something if it's not pouring down rain. Well, but it's yeah. Been, yeah. 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 So anyway. That's funny. All right. So that's, that was mine. So do you have any to add to the list? Yes. Okay. So my should be summer bucket list would start off with trips to Starbucks every single day. And the thing is, is this is actually an everyday occurrence-ish in Um, my life. So it should just be part of my summer bucket list. Yeah. But trips to Starbucks because we're bored being stuck in the house. Yes. So you don't, I mean, the coffee's like just, okay, that's fine. It's not really why we go. benefit of the trip, (laughs) but it's really just to contain my kid in her car seat for 20 minutes. I don't care. 20 minutes is a great amount of time to be stuck in a car with AC and she's happy and I'm uh-huh. happy. Yeah. And the only thing now is she's getting to the point where she knows when we're going through Starbucks, mm. she will ask for a cake pop. Now, please tell me how she says it. I bet it's adorable. She says pop. Pop. She just says Aww. pop. So, and she'll say please in uh-huh. her very aggressive way of signing, yeah. please. Um, <laughs> I posted a video the other day of her sign language, please. It. Yes, it's, it's so very great. aggressive and very cute. And how can you say no you to can't. that? You, you can't. You absolutely can't. So she says pop pop and I mean obviously yeah. I say yes. So Yeah. And it extends the time. Yes. Because this I mean, for her age, take a little while to eat. So it yeah. does. And she's happy. Yeah. I'm happy. Hey. I got my coffee. It's an added benefit. I just have to plan it accordingly, you know. When do I want to kill that time during the day? Yeah. Does it want do I want it to be first thing in the morning or in the afternoon? Because afternoons seem to be much longer yeah. than the mornings. Yeah. So but that would be the very first thing on my yeah. Do you know what I would do when Shep, just one child? And honestly, I think having one can be the most boring. Yeah, 100%. Yes. So I I would actually, like, I'd get him in the car and I'd turn on his little, we had a DVD player. I mean, like the baby Einstein. (laughs) Yeah. I would go to a place like a Starbucks or I don't know a Starbucks. I feel like we would go to like Sonic or something Mm. in Plant City, which is like a a 30 minute. yeah, Yeah. That's a drive. Because. I could just like, he was just like you said, strapped yeah, in he the was seat, strapped in and happy, happy I get as it. a clam. And I could just like be <laughs> in silence. And yeah, I so, mean, anyway. every mom loves that. Yeah. Yeah. It was so great. All right. So, so second thing on our list is spend 10 bajillion dollars at Starbucks yeah. because we're bored. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Our husbands love, love it. it. Do you have anything yep. else to add? You know? Yeah. I should add, talk about going to the beach. But just talk about it because I actually don't want to go to the beach and haul all of my things along with my one and a half year old's things, which is a lot when you have to go to the beach. Um, I don't want to do that in reality. So I will talk about and think about going to the beach and just envision the cute pictures that I could take (laughs) and just not even have to do it because I can just picture it in my head and I can just imagine how cute it would be. And then also imagine how annoying it would be to deal with all that sand coming back into my vehicle. Yeah. And we're tired and we're hot Mm -hmm. and we have sunscreen all over us. And, you know, everyone's just miserable at the end of a beach day. No one's happy. And you got to come home and clean all that And then you got to drive, what, an hour, an an hour hour and a half back to home. So, yeah, that would be the other thing on my list. Talk about going to the beach. Picture it in your head, but yeah. don't actually go. And the talking and the picturing is exhausting enough. I'm tired <laughs> just right I'm now. I'm already tired just thinking I'm tired about right it. now yep. thinking. Yep. And it's not five bajillion it. degrees outside. So not yes. only are you sandy, and all, but you're like so And you have to worry hot. about them getting sunburned. Yeah. And that's just, 
I stress about that for some reason, her yeah. getting burned. Oh, yeah. And so I got to like lather her in sunscreen all day long and which is already difficult because she's moving 500 yeah. oh, miles gosh. an hour. Don't, ugh, so, sunscreen. Ugh. Yeah, it's gross. The worst. What's, the worst. What would be the next thing on your list? Well, I think, um, so the next thing would be, I'm really going to strive to fail at a chore chart. <laughs> like going to make one going to be gung home going to teach my children responsibility all summer long and then we are going to completely trash it about so two the or three weeks chart in. is just going to like sit there on it's the fridge and be there. empty the whole it's summer. going to sit there and be a testament to my <laughs> mediocrity <laughs> and failure <laughs> maybe just go pick up those legos on the go floor and that's fine that's right throw your pillow back on the bed oh my goodness <laughs> i cannot tell you how many charts i have that i have failed um, so another one on my, my list, one of the most important things is like hire a babysitter. <laughs> I actually literally did that. And you actually do that. Yes, you do, do that. So. I do. Landon is a, a lot. So yes, some major, um, self-care this summer was. Yeah, that's good. And this is the yeah. first summer that you have a babysitter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I can't, he can't do camps or anything. So right. Yeah. So needed a little relief and she is the bomb. Yeah. And you get, yeah. Great time to yourself. Great time to myself. So I feel like every summer bucket list like that. Why is that not on? Should them? include having a baby. It should be on there yeah, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> You're a Abs- <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Any okay. other ones and we'll wrap this up. Yep. Okay. So I think one of the most practical ones on my list would be pool baths. Oh, pool every baths. Day. Absolutely. Every day. We don't have an actual pool in our yard, but we have a amazing little blow up pool from target that has a slide and all sorts of things. It's great. And it was honestly the best purchase that I made for us this summer because she loves it. I love it. There's something about the water that just makes any kid happy. So true. And you know, if we can eat dinner and go play in the pool for a minute, that counts as a bath. To it me. absolutely counts. As a, <laughs> there was a period of time. I think it went like an entire week and I was like, you know what? I remember telling Greg, I don't think any dating has happened. Oh, it's, it's like, we swam it. though. Yeah. Swam. You're clean. There was some water on you. Yeah. It's all good. Those anti-chemical people are like, they're no. like dying right now. Well, you know, mine is a little bit better. I guess it's just the hose that's water. True. Is that worse? Hose uh, water? No, that's way better okay. than the chlorine and all that. Yeah. So yeah. a hose, water, pool bath. We live for those. Yeah. So it's the bomb. All right. Yeah. Well, I think we have a pretty awesome list. This is an awesome list. This People is, should strive. To they should strive to be like, like ours. Yes, they should. <laughs> and I can definitely, definitely take pictures of these things. <laughs> they definitely have it. These are Instagram worthy for sure. These are Instagram worthy. All right. So we are in Psalm 86 today. And, um, I thought just the one thing we could do before we dig into the teaching segment is just like, what's your favorite verse in Psalm 86? Yeah. Absolutely. I'm going to start off with that. So reading through this chapter, there's a lot of good content, which I know you're going to cover in the teaching segment. Um, But if I had to narrow it down, honestly, I think I would just start off with verse one. There is something about, so verse Mm. one says, bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer. Answer me for I need your help. There is just something to me about verses that talk about the Lord like physically coming in close to us when we pray to him. I have always struggled with my prayer life. Mm -hmm. Reading the Bible is something that, you know, I generally enjoy doing. Um, I enjoy learning, reading Mm -hmm. scripture, but praying is just a difficult thing for me. Always has been. Um, 
I always get in this habit of being super formal with God and, you know, not having like real conversations. And so verses that just remind me that the Lord is so close. Mm. And when we pray, he bends down, he listens. Um, and he hears us. He hears our prayers when we pray to him. And I just always need that reminder always. Um, and so reading that verse and especially just starting off this chapter with that, like that the Lord hears our cries. He answers us when we need help. He bends down when we cry out to him. I just love that. I love that reminder. And I love just the visual that 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 gives us. I love that too. And I don't know, maybe it's because neither one of us have like super like gushy emotive personalities. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's why we're more drawn to like Mm -hmm. the let's read and let's study and let's learn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cause I, very much struggle with that same thing. I also am very drawn to the concept of God's transcendence, his holiness, Mm -hmm. his glory, his majesty. That's like this, he's so big. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think if there's a downside to that, if I don't always um, gravitate to thinking and dwelling on his eminence, that he's right, also right. here mm-hmm. and he has condescended. He does yeah. bend down. He he is that mm-hmm. like daddy wrap you in his arms. Yeah, very personal. Um, very, yeah. very personal. We saw that in the very first week with Psalm 139. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you have this transcendent, yes. almighty, all powerful, all knowing God. And, and yet he's so near. Yeah. And so... Yeah, I, I can never get enough of those yeah. of those reminders. It's just a good reminder, mm-hmm. a good I'm a visual person too. So just it's envisioning like that God is so close and like just I don't know, there's something about the words bend down. It just seems so like, you know, when I bend down to Monroe when she's asking yeah. me for something. Yeah. Um just that visual in my head, it's like that's exactly how the Lord is with us. You know, right. he's so close to us, he gets down on our, our level. Um, and he's there for us when we need his help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When she's like, pop. And I'm like, and you're yes, like, baby yes, girl, I will give you a cake yeah. pop. <laughs> I feel like God delights to give us things like, <laughs> even just like those great, yeah. beautiful little gifts that we don't need. Oh yeah. That's so, that's a yeah. whole nother conversation. Yeah. I feel like, you know, yeah. that we don't have to go to God just for our deep, right. you know, troubles yeah. that God just wants us yeah. to ask him so good and, and talk to him about just everyday things, yeah. you know? Absolutely. What about you? What's your favorite verse in this chapter? All right. So it was, it was hard to narrow it down um, because there really is so many. I, right now, today, <laughs> verse five really just mm. is so beautiful. Um, it says, for you, Lord, are kind and ready to forgive, yeah. abounding in faithful love to all who call on you. And I just think, you know, most of the times when humans forgive, it's like, say ready to forgive, mm-hmm. like usually mm-hmm. reluctant to forgive. Like yeah. it's so hard yeah. and you're like, okay, I'll do it. It's I'll really do it important. if, I'll do yeah, it, you or know, it's, or it's, with, or it's strings attached yes. or, um, and you know, and I don't know, I, I not, this is necessarily to my, you know, unconditional forgiveness, but the sense of like, God is so ready yeah. to forgive. There's this eagerness, um, and the, the kindness of the Lord. And, um, just, I just love that picture of, of his kindness and his readiness to forgive. He's a, of his faithful love. We talked about that mm-hmm. when we really a lot with that, that Hesed yeah. when we walked through Psalm 103, mm-hmm. um, just beautiful, beautiful, uh, truth that's woven 
all throughout these Psalms and really all throughout the Old Testament. And you get into mm. the New Testament and you don't see the word hesed, you see the word grace mm. and mercy. Mm. And it's just such a beautiful, um, beautiful attribute of God. So yeah. can't wait to That's dive into one. that, into that a little more. So are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. We are several weeks into this series that focuses on the attributes of God. Week after week, we've asked the question, what does this psalm teach me about God? And as a result, we have seen some incredible things. We've marveled at God's knowledge, his love, his sovereignty, his goodness, his grace, his power, his wisdom, his patience, and so many other amazing attributes. As we near the end of this series, it's incredibly important that we consider the practical implications of this knowledge. In other words, now what? How do we respond to this knowledge of God's character? What do we do? Psalm 86 shows us that we pray. Here's your main idea for today. The single most important response to the revealed character of God is dependence expressed in prayer. And hey, guess what, friends? Because of Jesus, we have access to this amazing God we've been studying. Like we can talk to him. That's amazing. I hope I never, ever, ever get over it. Well, Psalm 86 is one of many prayers in the Bible that shows us what this looks like. And before we dig into the Psalm, let's take a look at the heading. It's a prayer of David. Interestingly, this is the only David Psalm in book three. Remember the intro episode when we learned that the book of Psalms is divided into five books? Go back and take a listen if you missed it. It's good stuff. Well, another interesting fact about Psalm 86 is that it draws heavily from other Psalms and scriptures. It's essentially a collection of verses that have been pieced together and formed into a prayer. In light of this, and in light of where it shows up in the book of Psalms, many scholars believe that it may have been written after David's time, but attributed to him because it's so full of references to his previous writings. I mention that because this psalm is such a great example of how prayer and scripture go hand in hand. The truths contained in this book are intended to shape our petitions and fuel our praise. We've all experienced times when we don't even know what to pray. We're just so overwhelmed, maybe confused about what the Lord is doing, confused about what's going on. We don't even know what he wants. We don't even know what we want. The best counsel I have ever received about prayer is this. When you don't know what to pray, pray the attributes of God. Talk to God about who he is, about what he's promised Ask him to be that on your behalf. Ask him for faith to believe that he is who he says he is. Say to him, Lord, I praise you for being fill in the blank, sovereign, holy, good, loving, patient. Be that on my behalf. Give me the faith to believe that you are who you say you are. That's essentially what the psalmist is doing all throughout Psalm 86. Effective prayer hinges on knowledge of God, which, by the way, hinges on knowledge of his word. And so right here, I insert yet another shameless plug for Bible study. It's so important. It affects everything. 
All right, well, let's see what we learn about God from Psalm 86. Number one, God is full of mercy. Now, the mercy of God comes into full view when we look at the psalmist's condition. In verse one, we see that he's poor and needy. In verse two, he's in need of saving. In verse three, he's crying out for grace. In verse seven, he's experiencing trouble. Verse 14, his life is threatened. In verse 17, he's hated by his enemies. It is in this troubled, afflicted, needy, desperate state that he turns to the Lord. Why? Well, because he knows that God is full of mercy. He knows that God has a heart for people like that. The psalmist's confidence is in the character of God and the conviction that because he is merciful, he hears and answers the prayers of desperate, needy people. Look at verse 1. Listen, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. The NASB translation says, incline your ear to me. The God of the heavens, God most high, the great sovereign king of the universe, creator and sustainer of all things, he leans in. He stoops down. He inclines so that he can hear me, little old me. And he does the same for you. He is a big God for little people. He condescends to hear us and to help us. John Calvin wrote, Nothing is more suitable to the true nature of God than to help the afflicted. If you've ever felt too pathetic to talk to God, too ashamed, too troubled, too needy, then you don't understand the character of God. He loves to hear from people like that. Perhaps, like me, you've been amazed at a small child's ability to notice airplanes in the sky. Look, Mom, a plane! They always seem to know a plane is up there way before I do. And here's why. Because of their size, small children are always looking up. Almost everything in the world is up to them. Because they're looking up, they see things we don't. The people who see and know God are those whose smallness, unworthiness, and inability cause them to always be looking up toward his mercy and trusting in his grace to supply what they lack. God is merciful. Well, the second thing we see as we move on into the psalm is that God is master. Verse 2 continues to set the tone of the passage. It says, Protect my life, for I am faithful. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Faithful there means loyal, devoted. Your Bible might say godly. It points to the covenant relationship between the psalmist and God, which is a relationship between a servant and his master. Save your servant who trusts in you. And this servant-master relationship permeates the entire psalm. The most frequent name of God in the passage is my Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d. It's the word Adonai. It means master, sovereign. It's used seven times in this passage. We've seen the psalmist refer to himself as servant in verse 2. He does this again in verses 4 and 16. Also in verse 16, he calls himself the son of your female servant. 
On that day, the sons of servants were the master's property by birth. They were servants their whole life. It's all they ever knew. This is the kind of servant the psalmist wanted to be. Charles Spurgeon says, what others might think a degrading illustration, he uses with delight to show how intensely he loved the Lord's service. And what we need to draw from this is that the identity of the psalmist is deeply rooted in a position of submission. It seems so basic and fundamental, but if we really give some thought to how we pray and what we pray for, I think most of us would have to admit that we get it backwards sometimes. Maybe a lot of the times. We treat prayer as a convenient device for imposing our will on God, for bending his will to ours, as though we're the master and he exists to serve us. I think that's why prayer can be so frustrating and so disappointing to us. It's a terrible thing to pray for something in faith, fully convinced that God is going to do what you want him to do. And then it doesn't happen. We can easily conclude that God has failed, that he isn't as good or powerful or wise as we thought he was, or maybe he doesn't exist at all. And these conclusions, of course, are false. But that's what happens when we forget that God is master and we are his servants. That prayer is not the way we bend God's will to ours. It's the way we submit our will to his, knowing that his will is perfect because he's an all-wise, all-knowing, infinitely loving, sovereign master. John Stott says that every true prayer is a variation of the theme, your will be done. All right, so we've seen that God is merciful. We've seen that God is master. The third thing we see in this psalm is that God is incomparable. Now, the definition of incomparable, if you just look it up in a dictionary, it means without equal in quality or extent, matchless. And this is exactly what we see in verse 8. Lord, there is no one like you among the gods, and there are no works like yours. There's a little disagreement among scholars about the meaning of gods there in verse 8. After a lot of reading and working through some cross-references, I think it's safe to conclude that it's a reference to the spirit realm. All angels, all demons, all evil spirits, all principalities and powers and rulers of this present darkness and the idols they promote. Paul references these in Ephesians 6 and 1 Corinthians 8. The point David makes is that God far surpasses them all, both in terms of his essential nature and what he does. The upshot of this is verse 9. All the nations you have made will come and bow before you, Lord, and will honor your name. So the end game of everything we see in scripture is the worldwide worship of the one true king, whose name is Jesus. Psalm twenty-two twenty-seven declares that all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will worship before you. And that's why Jesus, before ascending back to the Father, gathered his disciples together and said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what I have commanded you. We call that the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. Verses like Psalm 86, 9 remind us that the Great Commission cannot fail. It's what God promised to Abraham way back in Genesis 12, and he is going to bring it to pass. 
It's a good thing to remind ourselves often that we are on God's side and God cannot lose. His kingdom will come. The worldwide worship of the one true king will be a reality. And the reason for this confidence is clearly stated in verse 10. For you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. This is yet another way of expressing that God is incomparable. He is like no other. He is bigger and better and greater than anything or anyone else. He is unrivaled, unequaled, uncontested. He is God over all gods, God over all nations, God over me and God over you. What I'm beginning to understand is that the most important, most essential duty of the Christian is to intentionally behold the greatness of God. All the other duties of the Christian life support it, and all true obedience and love and service flow from it. When my boys were smaller, it was never hard to tell what TV show they were into at the time. When Landon was on a PJ mask kick, he was wearing his gecko costume. When he watched a lot of Jake and the Neverland Pirates, you would probably find him with a treasure map and a telescope. When he'd watch Blaze and the Monster Machines, you'd hear a whole lot of truck engine sound effects and be asked to race around the house. You can always tell when my boys have watched a Star Wars movie because the lightsabers get pulled out and dusted off. Children are a great reminder that we really do become what we behold. When it comes to being an effective servant, the issue is not the instrument. It's not your competence, your talent, your giftedness, or the size of your platform. The issue of your impact hinges on one question. Have you beheld the incomparable greatness of God today? Robert Wilson was a professor of Old Testament at Princeton Theological Seminary from 1900 to 1929. One of his students at the time was the famous preacher-to-be Donald Gray Barnhouse, Twelve years after he graduated from Princeton, Barnhouse was invited back to preach in chapel. As he got up to preach, he noticed his old professor, Dr. Wilson, sitting near the front. When chapel was over, Dr. Wilson approached his former student, extended his hand, and said, I'm glad you're a big godder. When my boys come back, I come to see if they're big godders or little godders, and then I know how their ministry will be. Well, this doesn't just apply to preachers, does it? Whether we are big godders or little godders has massive implications on our parenting, our marriages, our jobs, our finances, what we do with our free time, how we talk about and treat others, how we handle anxiety, anger, lust, discouragement, how we respond to what we see on the news every day. Every decision we make, every emotion we feel, every relationship we have is radically impacted by our understanding of God's greatness. I once heard John Piper say that a godly life is lived out of an astonished heart. That ought to be our goal as we read God's word, to be astonished by his incomparable greatness. Our gaze determines our growth. So let's choose to be big godders, to do the work of intentionally beholding God's greatness, particularly as it's displayed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. All right, time for a little recap. We've seen that God is merciful. We've seen that God is master. We've seen that God is incomparable. The next thing we see in the psalm is that God wants our whole hearts. Look at verses 11 and 12. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will live by your truth. Give me an undivided mind to fear your name. 
I will praise you with all my heart, Lord my God, and I will honor your name forever. Now, there's an attribute of God implied in these verses that doesn't get a whole lot of airtime. It's the attribute of God's jealousy. We see it more clearly in passages like Exodus 34, 14, which says, Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Now, there's a reason we don't talk about this attribute a whole lot. The way we most often use the word jealous has a very negative connotation. It's something we're supposed to avoid. So we don't know quite to do with it as it relates to God. We have to start by understanding that there are essentially two types of jealousy. One is bad and one is good. The bad type of jealousy is wanting something that is not rightfully yours. It's rooted in pride, selfishness, and a desire to take rather than to give. The good type of jealousy is wanting something that is rightfully yours. It's rooted in love, affection, sacrifice, and a desire to give rather than to take. The good type of jealousy is present in every healthy marriage. In fact, it's what holds a marriage together. It's what keeps it going for a whole lifetime. If you and I were to go out to lunch one day and I told you that my husband Greg is fine with me dating other men, you would not think that's awesome. You would think that's crazy. You would also think this podcast needs a new host and Bible teacher. It's good and right and healthy for Greg to want all of my affection, all of my attention, all of my love. It's good and right and healthy for him to feel hurt and angry if I were to share my affection with another man. That's the good type of jealousy. And that's more of what we have in mind when we talk about the jealousy of God. The jealousy of God means that he demands from those he has loved and redeemed utter and absolute loyalty. I took that straight out of J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. The chapter on the jealousy of God is so, so good. Highly recommend. God wants what is rightfully his. Let me read verses 11 and 12 again. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will live by your truth. Give me an undivided mind to fear your name. I will praise you with all my heart, Lord my God, and will honor your name forever. This is the prayer of someone who knows that they belong to God and is intensely committed to remaining faithful in that relationship. The first thing he prays for is wholehearted obedience. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. And then he asks for wholehearted awe. Unite my mind to fear your name. Your translation may say heart. Unite my heart to fear your name. Out to the side of this verse in my Bible, I have written, may all my affections honor your perfections. I'm not sure where I got that, but I love it so much. And it's become something I pray all the time. You know, one of the greatest luxuries I enjoy daily is a shower with really great water pressure. Now, I'm all about taking care of the planet, conserving our resources. I recycle all the things, but you guys, all bets are off when I take a shower. No low flow water saving valves for me. I want as much water coming out of that shower head as possible. Well, Sunday morning I got in the shower and it was weak. Just a sad half-hearted drizzle coming out of that head. Like what you get in a lot of hotels these days. Ugh. It took like five minutes for me to rinse out my shampoo. Terrible. The reason it wasn't so great is that two other people in my house decided they were going to shower at the same time. And because the water had to flow through three different shower heads, 
we all got less. Our affection for the Lord, our awe of him, our reverence for his name works the same way. When our hearts and minds are divided, when they're preoccupied with lesser loves, with God replacements, idols, those things we think will satisfy, supply what we need. When we start pouring our energy, our time, our passion into those things, pretty soon, without even realizing it, the wellspring of devotion and awe for the Lord becomes weaker and weaker until it's eventually just a drizzle and then a trickle and then a drop. That's the sad progression of idolatry. And the only way to keep the water flowing at full capacity is to constantly, daily, maybe even hourly, be asking God to give us undivided hearts, to expose our idols, to open our eyes to how much better he is than all the things that vie for our affections. We need to pray every day for renewed fear of the Lord, a wholehearted awe of the one true God. In verse 12, the psalmist expresses wholehearted gratitude. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. And then he resolves to live his life as a wholehearted display of God's glory. I will glorify your name forever. God's name is his character. It's the sum total of all that he is. The Bible makes it clear that we exist to make that name known to the world, to reflect to the people around us how much he's worth and communicate the immense beauty of his gospel. We are always about the business of glorifying something or someone. And unfortunately, it comes quite naturally for us to glorify ourselves. But our God, whose name is Jealous, says no. Isaiah 42, 8, he says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. He has wired us so that lasting joy and true fulfillment is only found in a life spent displaying his beauty and his goodness and his worth to the world. So I challenge you to make verses 11 and 12 a regular prayer. We pray for all kinds of things, and we should. But too often when we pray, we neglect our own hearts. If you want to be the kind of woman who wholeheartedly obeys and fears and thanks and glorifies God, and I'm pretty sure you do or you would not be listening to this podcast, you need to ask for it. Cry out to God. Pray for him to do these things in your life. One of the features of this particular prayer is that there is no resolution recorded. There's no answer. The psalmist appears to be in as much trouble at the end of the psalm as he is at the beginning. And yet praise permeates the entire chapter. How can that be? How can everything be falling apart and your response is still praise? Well, here's the answer. When your eyes are fixed on who God is, you don't have to understand everything he does. It doesn't have to make sense to you. In the back of my Bible, I've written these words from Spurgeon's morning and evening devotional. I can't remember if I've already shared it in this series. I probably have, but it bears repeating. So here goes. Oh, let my trembling soul be still and trust thy wise, thy holy will. I cannot, Lord, thy purpose see, yet all is well since ruled by thee. Now, I once heard it was said that if God granted us his power for 24 hours, There's a whole lot of changes we would make in the world and in our lives. But if, along with that power, he granted us his wisdom too, 
we would leave things just as they are. I cannot, Lord, thy purpose see, yet all is well since ruled by thee. Well, that's it for today's episode. Do you know someone who might be encouraged by this series, who maybe needs to be reminded of who God is and how much he loves her? My friends and I are always sharing links to podcasts we love, and it's amazing how God uses those. So keep on sharing, friends. Positive reviews on iTunes are another way to get the word out. And just a reminder, there is a gorgeous digital study guide that goes along with this series that you can purchase at hergodspeaks.com. It's not a dinky little PDF. It's a full-blown Bible study workbook that's only $8 and will be delivered to your inbox right away. Well, until next time, may our incomparable God, who is worthy of our whole hearts, be big in your life this week.